on maynard.com.au AU Finally, barking dog. That's Boo Boo. We just come into Mark's place. Hi, Mark. How are you? So far, so good. How many dogs you got? Um, one. That noise was coming from one dog. <laughs> that looks like one very spoiled pup. Spoiled, well looked after. When you think about DJs, there's many you think about, but there's one guy who's been around for 36 years. He has been a part of not just the Australian, but the worldwide DJ scene for all that time. And I'm honoured to be in his little secured location here in inner city Sydney, where he's going to show me around. We're going to have a chat about it. And a few of you have asked questions, the life and the times of DJ Mark Alsop. I'm up for it. <laughs> what a great place you've got. We enjoy it. And who are you here with? My husband. When did you guys make it official? In April last year. And we did it in Berrima and kept it all off Facebook. Social media. People have a habit of over-fucking-sharing. Over-fucking-sharing. Okay, I would run with that. Exactly. Plus, it's no one's business but our own. I remember when I friended some people and then put on Facebook that I was married to a woman. <laughs> and then, not my real friends, but the Facebook friends were saying, oh, congratulations, this is wonderful, how suited you both are. And I thought, I'm a big homosexual. What would I be doing marrying a... a, a... So we knew you'd get over that whole gay thing eventually. Yeah, good oh. luck with that. <laughs> Just looking around, I am in possibly the gayest room I've seen since I visited Lance Leopard. And that's only the first room. <laughs> There's an enormous mirror ball here. There's some wonderful posters, some of the work you've done, music works on the wall. There's a toy box poster. They were, especially at Luna Park, they were huge. Oh, there's some leather toys on the wall, which is, that, you know. That's a Mardi Gras costume we made for God is a DJ. We put that together and that was going down Oxford Street with all the followers, everyone dressed as priests and nuns and God And, of course, you've got the mirror ball cut in half as the mirror ball headphones. We're just wandering upstairs now. The nice kitchen you've got there. Are you the cook of the two, are you? Yes, I'm the lead chef because um, I originally started hotel and restaurant supervision when I left school. When did you first getting started into the digital stuff? Can you remember the first time you walked out to DJ with just a USB stick? In the early double O's, that was the first time I walked out with CDs just in my collection. And then the USBs, I would say that's about four or five years ago. And now I don't take CDs anywhere. Mark Olsop, do you miss the vinyl? Everyone's very misty-eyed about it. Is there something about working analogue that you miss? Working with vinyl is fantastic for showmanship and flair and spinning it in your hands. The whole thing about that is great. Acoustically, crap. I'm so glad vinyl's dead. <laughs> Yes, I know. Controversial. All these people out oh, there. Come, hey, come yeah, on. Yeah, vinyl's coming back. Well, you can have it. I don't want it. The muffled sound. Yep. You, yeah. yep. No clarity. All muffled. The snap crackles and pops, especially at the Horden era. Some of those yeah. pops were so loud they'd give you a heart attack, which is great depending what <laughs> drug you're on. We'll have to mention the Horden period there. What would be one of your favourite parties to work at? Because you worked at so many of them. What was one of the best ones? I always remember the rat ones because they were so unusually structured and the DJ box was usually quite well done out. What's one of your favourites? Oh, Sweatbox. They really oh. went to town with their theming. Oh, look, everybody mentions Let Them Eat Cake, where everything was yep. just covered in white parachute material and beautiful things everywhere. Everybody just tends to forget that those things are massive fire hazards. You had white <laughs> nylon draped over everywhere at a time where everybody smoked. That's right. One of the parties had heavy machinery in all corners of the dance floor at the sweat box. And then Paul Holden at one of the bacchanalias called Junk, he hung a car from the ceiling above you. You cannot do that these days. There's no way 
probably not going to let you do that. No, they don't even like the lighting rigs moving up and down anymore. They just want them static. So everything's a problem. But dancing under that car and fireworks as well that would shoot down, I know they were dangerous because I got burnt by them. They were the great, the good times of the late 80s, early 90s. At one of the rat parties, there was some guy climbed up the top and hopped on top of the mirror ball and wouldn't come down and they had to empty the entire hall. That wasn't you on top of the mirror ball, was it? No, no, no. I was one of the punters in the crowd, (laughs) kind of slightly pushing people to get out because I thought if this is something to do with a bomb, I don't want to be in the middle of the hall. People were going, eh, we'll just leave in our own short time and I was just moving people saying, we need to get out of here now. It could be an emergency. We are not safe in here. I wasn't trying to spin them out. There was one party where one of the mirror balls came down and almost clocked someone on the head. They hit them on the back of the neck, so it missed them. One mirror ball came down. That's the only thing I know ever happened in the history of the Horden, well, that I know of anyway. I've not seen anyone clunked except (laughs) at one of the Paradise Garage parties. I think they were in Waterloo when we first started off in the film studios there, and one of the big power cables, the three-phase power cables came loose, swung down and clunked someone in the head. Yeah. Do you remember your first 12-inch you bought? The first seven inch was Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. I was in high school at the time. And the first 12, Born to be Alive. And a track called Chattanooga Choo Choo. Who did that one? No idea. I'll have to try and find that one. And that's when CBS were first bringing out their 12 inches. M. Pop music. Pop music. Yes. so into new music. Even though you've been around for 36 years, I remember having the discussion with you and you don't usually play a retro gig. That's not your thing. No, it's not my thing at all. When Lost Gay Sydney on Facebook became popular, I was asked even by Paul Holden to come and relive the days of the 90s, late 80s and 90s, but it's not my thing. I played music back then that was cutting edge and brand new and I'm still doing that. And when it comes to looking back, I have little flashback tracks in my sets Mm. that I play maybe two per hour, and that's as retro as I like to get. It's not what's in your rear vision mirror that counts, it's what's in front of you. Exactly, exactly. Do you ever talk when you DJ? Absolutely not. And if I was to have to talk, all of a sudden my voice turns into this (laughs) because I sound like a Nancy when I'm on a big PA system. Are you being served? John Inman. Oh, maybe not that bad. But I get the wrist action wrong. Every time I do it, it goes limp. For the tech heads out there, I see you've got Sennheiser headphones. I've found them a little bit quieter than normal. I'm a bit of a Sony headphone guy, but I guess they're a bit of a low-rent one for you, the Sony headphones. Yeah, I'm a bit of a headphone snob. I believe that the Sennheiser headphone, which was originally made for drummers. Really? So, And you know how drummers bang their head and thrash themselves around? Yeah. These things do not come off your head. In fact, I was watching Keith Moon in the Who Are You clip for The Who and he has his headphones gaffer taped to his head across the front, across his hair and everything. So it would have been hell when he took it off. That's how he stopped his <laughs> his headphones from coming off in the recording studio. It's a lot cheaper, but you lose a lot 
lot of hair that way. I yeah. mix with treble, not with bass. Mm. I just mix with the, the hi-hats and the percussion. How is your hearing, by the way, after 36 years of DJing? You've been in venues like I have where the actual in-house system is right next to where you are, and the only way you can get any peace and quiet is to put the headphones on and turn the cue off. That's exactly right. You would have to work with the headphones on all night just to muffle that sound. And how's the hearing? Absolutely perfect. Really? How do you manage that? In the last few years, I went and got some earplugs. So when I'm at a large concert, I put in the 15 dB deadeners. But generally, stay away from loud systems. And as soon as I finish my gig, I generally stand somewhere where it's not so loud. So my exposure to loud music is for not long periods. Why did you become a DJ in the first place, Mark Also, That would be going out in the gay clubs in the early 80s, once I came from Adelaide. The music that I was collecting was the Human League. Duran Duran and a lot of stuff like that. And I went into Disco City and... David Hiscock showed me and played me a lot of the music coming from the US at the time. And they also had a lot of English imports. So I wasn't hearing this kind of music in the clubs and I thought, why not? So I wasn't happy being a waitress in a cocktail bar. That much is true. I decided to get two cassette decks, get pitch controls put on them. I don't think that was standard unless you had a broadcast one. Correct. It wasn't. So it was a little bit of a mess, but the product that I ended up with was a cassette. And that cassette went to Club 45, which was a little bit of an underground club near Patches and across the road from the Exchange Hotel. The is it anywhere near Flo's Palace? Am I getting it mixed no, up? No, Flo's is up near Taylor Square. Right. So we're down near the Exchange, right. but across the road. Okay. And he saw enough potential in that cassette that I had put together that he gave me a Friday night to see how I went. And how nervous were you when you first kicked off there? Not really. You're a confident guy. Yes. I've never seen you looking a bit, eh. I remember we had a good chat on the navigation cruise, which has never been repeated on the P&O liner as far as I know. Navigation, that was an amazing weekend. Yeah, the, the big back of the boat, we're just underneath the ship screw, which is one of the other amazing <laughs> terms you can use on the navigation cruise that has two meanings. Have you had permission to come aboard yet or not? They only let me out of the centre about once a week. During your uh, period as DJ, you've seen it all from uh, disco to uh, nouveau disco. Yes, it even went to Acid House there for a while, mm. as, uh, as we all know. Who could forget the sound of the car alarm? Du, 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 du. You adapted anything for the cruise? I've taken a lot of the commercial tracks away, so just to make it a little bit more of an experience for the guys. There's a little bit of Metallica mm-hmm. and a little bit of Twisted Sister because I know how the gay people enjoy that. Or well, you would be playing some uh, Spice Girls, perhaps? Oh, nothing so gay, oh, Maynard. That's, that's too gay. You get up there and warm up, and he might even have a racy track if you ask him nicely. <laughs> oh, racy? Yeah. Some girls do. Some, some girls, girls don't. Yeah, as if anyone here is interested. Love it, it? Some girls won't. Don't forget the emphasis on never gay. G-A-Y. Mm. And that was run by Peter Oxford. Do you have dyed-in-the-wool crazy fans after all these years? Do you have any crazy stalkers after all these years? Because you've been on the scene for so long. There must be people that you've never spoken to that think they know you. I would say new. There are new crazy stalkers. You turn them over every couple of years. You've got to keep them fresh. I'm sorry, I've only got certain room on my stalker list. You'll just have to be on the stalker waiting list. That list was growing, but I've managed to get a few of them off that list. (laughs) 
<laughs> just to keep myself entertained. Club 45, how long did that did that go through into the 90s? Club 45, I think it was closed by the 90s. And speaking of club closures, as you walk down Oxford Street now, even on a Friday night, it's a bit sad. It's very sad. I was walking down there on Saturday night after one of my gigs and most of the shops, the retail shops, were all empty. And I turned around, stood on the street, looked up and down and all the shops were empty bar one and this was near the Oxford Hotel. I could not believe it. Think back to the day in the late 90s or mid-80s, everything was open. It was a bustling metropolis that you would be in. The landlords have put the rent up, which is now happening in King Street, Newtown. Any shop that's going to open there, they haven't got the margin to make money. The only uh, shop that's going to be able to make money would be a restaurant or something to do with food because that has the markup. Retail clothing is one thing that's not going to be able to afford to be in King Street shortly. Food is making money at the moment, but food and nightclubs don't tend to go together. Sure, you have a kebab place, but that's about it. Or um, what is it? The crackling pork place. There are so (laughs) many people outside of that on a weekend. Crackling pork is the new frozen yogurt, is it? Oh, it's more than that. (laughs) There's that many people there that you think, wow, what's this club? I've got to get into that. And then you realise that they're all waiting for a pork roll. And speaking of a pork roll, you've worked at some day clubs and some sex on premises places. And with that, people aren't dancing as much, but they certainly require a mood. What do you play when you're playing a, a dark, naughty party? More underground music. The best way to answer that is Whitney, Britney, Kylie, Madonna, Beyonce, Rihanna and Lady Gaga. None of that. Absolutely none of that. No one wants to be in the middle of it and going, this is it. Yeah, this time I know it's the real thing. Perhaps not. On my website, there's a podcast page and there is some underground CDs there which are recorded live from some of these clubs. And most of that stuff, they're more about rhythms. So you can put that on home and it'll just be like you're at Manacle or something. Oh, indeed. While we're on Manacle topic, there are three flashbacks to Manacle that I've uploaded on the site as well. So if you wanted to relive all that music back then, Mm. there's three CD length, 80 minute mixes up there. You are looking amazingly healthy and well. When I saw you on the navigation cruise, you look fantastic there. You've kept yourself well. Has it been a, a struggle to keep well? It's got its challenges, of course. And I was doing the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation auction the other night and Shauna Jensen messaged me and asked me how I keep looking so young and well. And my answer to that is stand in the shadows when you go out. <laughs> the answer is lighting and the lack of it. Indeed. It's awfully dark in here. Light is not your friend. You don't like being hit by lights while you're playing? I take my own lights with me to light up the work area. As for being seen in a club, I prefer not to be seen. And that's mainly because if you're seen, punters like to come up and ask you for stuff. And you know from your experience that is never, it never ends well. DJs generally don't like requests and people might think that's because we're arrogant and yeah that's true but the other thing is that requests normally fall into two categories and only two categories. The first category is you're going to play it anyway. The second category is you're never going to play it. Am I right about that? 
where do you think you are? Often you've got to remind them, you realise you're in a gay bar here. Asking for Jimmy Barnes is not really that appropriate or Metallica is not going to go damn well and don't tell me it's what everyone wants because I know damn well it's what no one wants but you and could you please leave? Especially R&B. They don't like to hear, I don't play R&B. Most of us don't. So go to another club and just be happy rather than standing there and bitching at me. Do you think it's because everybody can have whatever song they want so easily now that going up to a DJ and asking for something and not getting something makes them feel disenfranchised? Yes, it's instant gratification. And at ARC, I have people coming up with their phone asking me. You've probably seen this, but describe this from the DJ's point of view, Mark Alsop. One thing not to do in a club, do not open your notes, type in what you want, and then hold it in front of the DJ's face, waving it around like a frantic monkey in six font, something Mm. so small that only a 15-year-old could read it. Or the page in iTunes or your Spotify page as well. Yeah, one of my favourites is, what do you mean you don't have it? It's on my phone here, play that. Oh, come on. Like, you're going to load their telephone live in a club? No, absolutely not. I personally rework everything I play. Everything that you hear me play, it's gone through my Pro Tool system and I've rearranged it. Often I'll put an intro on it and a mix out. And it gives you a longer mix-in time, obviously. It does, and I'm all about a mix-in. And often my mix-outs, which is when we're blending two pieces of music, my mix-outs run for a, a minute and a half. And even though a lot of people now just cut from one to the other, I make most of my music one minute and a half, whether I use that... Is another thing altogether depending what i'm playing but it's very old school what's the longest residency you've had at a club probably be the civic hotel from 2000 to about 2012 or 13 was that downstairs that was on the street level i liked the street level because you could control the sound there and play a little bit more cocktail we're mentioning how Oxford Street looks a bit abandoned at certain times, as does most of Sydney after about 11 o'clock at night lately. Do you think there's any solution to it or do you think we're, we're stuck with this for a few years yet? I can see in the news recently that they're talking about reopening Sydney. The clubs are now closing at three and our shifts used to go till six in the morning. DJs are now out on the street. Now, of course, did you work the Phoenix Bar, which was getting started at five or six in the morning? First of all, we were at Manicool and, as you know, Manicool oh, yes. started started early double zeros and I worked from day one there right through to the very end. That was the first day club that I was at. Once Manicle closed, I then went and did the day club at the Exchange Hotel called Rising. There's nothing like that at the moment, is there? Not to my knowledge, no. Mm. And the cops are there after us. So you do not want to put something like that on because they will be there on the first couple of weeks to make sure it doesn't happen again. We've seen lots of drugs come and go over the decades and people getting out there and partying, I always feel that it's one community that can take their drugs and their partying better than most others. Generally, yes. But once the GHB, once that came out, nasty, nasty, nasty. And that was causing a lot of people to collapse on the dance floor. And once the ambulances are called to the venue, that's when the cops get involved. This was all happening when the one punch things were happening. It was a crescendo. So do you think that that was more of a danger to the scene than methamphetamine ice? To the scene, yes. People going from zero to on the floor without much warning. Absolutely right. And by your terminology, on the floor, that's literal. They were on the floor and they were scary and their eyes would pop out of their head. So at Manicle, we did some training on G overdoses as the staff. We could see if someone was going to drop was the term and we would alert security immediately about that. 
back in the Horden days in the uh, late 80s, if someone had two E's in a night, you'd go, oh, gee, you, you're going a bit hard. And now you hear about the, the festivals that are during the day for a start in 40-degree heat, and they're having handfuls of these things. Yeah, I totally agree. How we're living at the moment is quite negative. So to mm-hmm. have a good time, you don't just pop one. That's just part of the culture, and I think it's no longer about education. How have you gone with the the changing terminology and the political terminology in the gay and lesbian subculture world? Because you you say the wrong thing and you can get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I'm one of the old school people, gay, Mardi Gras, that's what it was. Lesbians identify with gay, they always have, and now we've got all the subdivisions, and I think now we're all trying to be so perfect and subdividing that it's um, pulling us apart. Some trans people who have a problem with drag queens, for example. Who doesn't? (laughs) A drag queen will steal your eyeliner. Indeed, as long as it's not the liquid eyeliner. It was a great loss to the DJ scene with Paul Holden because he was actually getting back into it again and doing some more DJing. I think he had some great stuff ahead of him there, unfortunately, and we lost him. The history of Paul and myself, Paul and I were at the Bacchanalia parties. I was the DJ that often worked with him, and when I put on my own party with a couple of friends, we called it Carnivale, and that was at the Horden as well. And who was my guest DJ? It was Paul, of course. Mm. Paul went through a big arc. His life was a little bit of turmoil because of him being gay and DJing and then going into the straight scene, and it was quite nasty. And it was good to see that he was coming back. I thought that your choice of songs, because there was the tribute to him at the Home Night Club, and I think every DJ got 15 minutes. There were so many on the bill. You played just three songs, I think. You hit the nail on the head, really. Thank you. There was the Pet Shop Boys and Depeche Mode. They were two, and Bananarama. They were the things that Paul was passionate about, and that's what the Bacchanalia parties were known for. Mm. Mind you... When a lot of the other DJs played, there was no reference to his early life at all. Yes, it was more like the the rave period. It was the rave period. Mm. So um, I was glad I was at the beginning of the night because then there was a chronological order to his life. It was a great celebration. Mark Vick had it organised. It was actually streamed live. The video of it was available for months afterwards. I think on my website there's a bit of my set on there, if not all of it. MarkAlsop.com, you can get podcasts, regular audio, and there's lots of photos of you with people around the scene. And as people were mentioning to me on the Lost Gay Sydney page on Facebook, you might see yourself there or with someone you know. Yes, indeed. And every time I release one of those pages, which Uh is about 20 people on there, I tag them on Mm. Facebook so that they can see that they're live on the site. You're not all about looking backwards, but you have got a history there that just has to be acknowledged. All the posters uh, of every party I've ever done in the past 35, 36 years, there's a poster there of every party. There may be one missing. To me, that's a big slog of gay culture and history. And I'm making provisions that once I'm no longer on this world, that that website will stay live because it's a big slab of history that I think needs to be on the internet. Otherwise, we're going to lose it all. Sydney has gotten out of the habit of going out, full stop. Totally agree. You see people going, oh, I've watched everything on Netflix I possibly can. Give me some more obscure references. And hey, go out or read a book. Because it's easier just to be on your phone and hook up. But with your phone being alone at home, it's not giving money to the scene. 
You want to name check a couple of the DJs you've worked with that people put out of their mind or haven't thought of for a while, make people go, oh, yeah. Most DJs don't work in the scene for 36 years. Back in the early 80s, there was Stephen Cribb that worked at the Midnight Shift and John Hardage, Stephen Alkins. Now, there was one that when we started the Mad Club at the site in Victoria Street, the first DJ that was on with us there for a number of months was Bill Bob Morley. Oh, Bill. So Bill and I worked at the Civic Hotel for many years in the cocktail area. That was interesting. And that was after his famous Blue Danube Waltz. Well, he's known for that, but he was also known for playing bird noises over his records as well. He always used to do that at the Mad Club, would play some bird noises or some sound effects over the regular music occasionally. Oh, okay. So I had a fart CD. I would play a couple of those randomly at the Horden, quite loud, and then look completely innocent. So I don't think I ever got caught. A couple of people know about that. But. Another one that's really good, I find, is to find a very generic cell phone ringing tone and put that in at a low level and see everybody go for their phone or that ding Apple noise that means you've got a message or something like that and see everyone go for the phone. That was always a good one. I used to enjoy on air when I was on Triple J playing a cat meowing in the background and everyone who had a cat would just think their cat was nearby. That was always good. I think the siren is the best because then you watch the clubbers (laughs) run for the door. A barking noise. Depends what you're into. Oh, now have you had much furry action because you've played in a few of these dark clubs? Is anybody turning up in furry costumes yet? No, I've watched a couple of videos which are... Educational? Educational videos about furry dress-ups. And no, I can't say I've had any. I do the bears. Lots of the bears work. They don't need a costume. I was honoured to one year play a dance for them and it was just the best audience ever. I agree, absolutely. Some of the leather events I've done, we have the guys dressed as dogs, pups. That's about the most dress-up I can see. They have great muzzles too. Have you seen the other end? I probably haven't looked closely the enough. wagging tail. Mm. <laughs> you mentioned the sweatbox ones were always great, always immaculate, and Richard Weiss was doing the design for them, wasn't he? Yes, indeed, he yeah. was, yes. Yeah. Would the Pet Shop Boys be your favourite group? No, Mark Armin, Soft Cell. Still right. Yeah, definitely. Now, do you think we'll ever see him out here? I hear he doesn't like travelling all that much. Well, he got as far as Bali. Get out. I know. Do you think he would have just... Yeah, well, you're almost here for... That is very odd that he w- wouldn't come this far. There may not be a bigger fan base. I know in Europe he's number one in mm. a lot of the countries there. But as soon as he comes here, I think he would have to be on a, a double bill, triple bill. I'm thinking put him on with Jimmy Somerville or does him and Jimmy Somerville get on enough to be on the same bill these days? Who knows? After that, I feel love debacle when they <laughs> recorded that. We're not loving each other at the end of that recording session. Come back to the, the politics of the whole scene because sometimes you'll play a song and someone might think you're trying to send a political message and they get offended. Does that ever happen? No, I've had people comment about the flow of my music and the meaning to it. Wow. But when I do a gig that is um, celebration, all my music is going to be about love. It's going to be always talking about positive things mm-hmm. and that's something subliminal that I put behind compiling the night. Which is interesting because being such a Mark Armand fan, almost all his songs are about torch songs and heartbreak is what he does best. They are. What is your favourite Mark Armand song? 
I couldn't say. There is so much fabulous stuff. I am a huge fan of Tenement Symphony. Produced by Trevor Horn, string arrangements by Anne Dudley. It couldn't get more perfect. It's basically the Look of Love album with Mark Armin. Everyone tends to remember Jackie, which is a great reworking of the Walker Brothers. About the time they called me Shacky. If I could be for only an hour. If I could be for an hour every day. If I could be for just one little hour. A cute, cute, in a stupid ass way. If I could be for only an hour. If I could be for an hour every day. If I could be for just one little hour. Cute, in a stupid ass way. For the gay audience, Tears Run Rings was a big hit at the Horden era. Jackie came after that. His big hit from that album was My Hand Over My Heart. I was living in Brisbane at the time, so I would close my big part sleaze balls with My Hand Over My Heart. Is there a um, remix of it? Or oh, yeah, 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 there was a remix, and that was a Trevor Horn production as oh. well. Left to My Own Devices by the Pet Shop Boys is one of my favourites, and that is full-on Trevor Horn production. I remember starting the Pride Party in 89 with two copies of Left to My Own Devices, and not many people had heard it, and I mixed the intro for a couple of minutes until the kick drum came in. That was one of my most favourite moments of listening to Left to My Own Devices and seeing the crowd, because you could hear it was Neil singing, and it was the Pet Shop Boys, but it was a new album. So a lot of people haven't heard it. I get out of bed at half past ten. Phone up a friend who's a party animal. Turn on the news and drink some tea. Maybe if you're with me, we'll do some shopping. One day I'll read or learn to drive a car. If you pass the test, you can beat the rest. But I don't like to compete or talk street, street, street. I can pick up the best. favourite Pet Shop Boys album. I'm such a very fan because it's such a great piece of pop. I was a very fan until Yes, the album Yes. The Yes album's got a tick on it and it was sensational, absolutely sensational. But maybe my favourite will be their next album because um, Stuart Price is doing the production and, you know, he's well known for working with Madonna's Confessions of a Dance Floor album and that just catapulted her. Honestly, I lost interest in Madonna after she did the American Pie thing. 
What was her reason behind doing that? I know it's an iconic song, but why would she particularly need I just didn't understand it. I like to say, what was she thinking? Mm. And when you listen to the album, it really does suit how shit the album is. <laughs> so if she's going to have a shit period, it was good that she put it all on one album. Do you think part of her problem is that she uh, tends to rely on who the producer is for an album? So if the producer's a bit off tone or hasn't hit the mark, she's affected by that? I might have to say I agree with that because the Hard Candy album was produced to an inch of its life, and I love it. It is so polished, you can't fault it, but a lot of people said she was cold. I would certainly agree with you, but Hard Candy was one of my favourite albums, and her new album, I adore. What's your guilty pleasure? The thing you like to listen to but you don't play when you're DJ or you maybe wouldn't like people to know that you're really a big fan of? I would once a year pull out my Sherbet records. And you were only on Facebook the other day oversharing about (laughs) about your love of the Sherbs. And I didn't know anything good came out of the Sherbs. They had the most critically released positive reviews with The Skill. That was their first album as The Sherbs. And then they did the second album called Defying Gravity, and that was just sensational. A lot of the hard rock had gone, and they put a lot of synths in. I loved that blending. And then there was a mini album after that called Shaping Up, and that was the end of them. This is all stuff that just did not make it onto Australian radio, did it? What, they wanted more How's That, Child's Play. They wanted that sound, that Oz Rock sound, and the band had matured and changed, and I had done that with them. How's that? You missed the I totally accepted their new material, but a lot of the Australian public just threw them to the curb. When I think of Sherbet, they don't play the ones I like either, like Old Sid. Does anybody see no Sid around? And Cavalry. You might find that's Daryl Braithwaite and not Sherbet. Now, how come people don't come to you a bit more often getting you quoted in the gay press? Of course, your musical knowledge, because it's obvious you have a lot of musical knowledge of 36 years. How come no one asks you stuff? Because you might have answers people are scratching their bum about most of the time. On my site, there's a section there called Press. You'll find that there are books, about four books that I've been quoted in now, and the latest one was The Central Station. Music Wars, I highly recommend that. Pretty much everybody in the scene for the last 20 years is in it. I've even got a small bit. Oh, yes, I noticed that fell out earlier, (laughs) your small bit. Yeah, I I hit it from the dog. There were 15 record shops in Darlinghurst at one stage there in the 90s, and I think we're down to two now or something. Yeah, that became a day that you would go from – we even had them in the city. I first started work at Disco City with – with David Hiscock. Try and describe to the no record shops around person what a day would be like because it would be like a Wednesday or a Thursday where everything arrived at the shops. What order would you do the record shops in to find what sort of records? Back then in the 80s, it would be Disco City. That would be first and then Red Eye Records would be the second and that was more for English imports. Yes. And then Central Station opened and there was also uh, Good Groove and Good Groove was in the Westpac Plaza, I believe, and they sold a little bit more 
more left of center stuff, so not fully commercial. You would check those four out. It would always be on the release day that you knew a shipment was coming in because there would be every other DJ there as well grabbing. Actually, who do you think has been the biggest DJ overall in Sydney over all the years? I think Stephen Alkins had a very, very big chunk of the gay community and he's now up north and a little bit retired and doing parties up there. He comes to mind straight off. What was the absolute wildest party where you went, man, this is the most hedonistic thing I've ever been at? Some of the Paradise parties were crazy. They were crazy. And I must say there have been times in clubs that have been so out of control that I've almost been scared for my life, that things are going to teeter-totter and end up a complete mess. But luckily it's not been at a big dance party. That's been more of the culture that I found in some of the clubs I've been in. Questions here from the Lost Gay Sydney. And do you think we have lost a time that will never return? I would say absolutely. Of course, because every couple of months I flush my music out and every period that features that music is only for a certain time. Mm. So if you're coming out and Katy Perry's the top of the pops and now it's Madonna at the moment and then it'll be someone next week. As we move along, there's always those times that will never be repeated. And I think back at the 80s and a lot of that music, they were fantastic. They were the big parties and we've all moved on and we always move on. And that's what I've done with my career as well. So someone who's coming out as any particular preference that's not straight, do you think it's easier now? I think it's just a whole bunch of other problems have been put in their way. We're very different in the way we were brought up. So holding hands down Oxford Street is something that when I was walking down Oxford Street in the 80s, you did not do that because there was bashings around the back streets. There was murders at Bondi Beach and it's all been covered up. So we all knew that. So you would just lay low. You would never walk down the street holding hands. And now some of the kids walking down the street are hand in hand and they can't see what the problem is. The whole culture has changed and it's a lot more accepting now. And I think it's easier to be gay and it's not so special. And so is that good, not being so special? Because back then, even before I came out, a lot of people were going to Enzo's wine bar up in Paddington. That sounds like there'd be a bit of ouzo being drank there. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what was drunk there. That's when being gay wasn't, you kept it undercover and you didn't really tell people. You didn't wear flouncy shirts down the street and you just conformed. Yeah, there are many things that go on nowadays Mm. and you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And if you don't say something, then you're making a stance because you didn't say anything. Mm. You know, what's that crap about, really? Do you think sometimes bisexuals, they get the unlubed end of the stick sometimes because both sides go, oh, look, you haven't made your mind up yet. Yeah, we're all about putting people into boxes. It's gay, lesbian, and that's the way it was. And bi was never really included in that. So, yeah, they do get the... A bit of the raw end of the stick. Yeah. And can they make their minds up? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go ask them afterwards. It's the best of both ways. More questions here. Peter J. McBain on Facebook. Just ask Mark Alsop why he's such a legend. I would say it's putting up with the gay scene for 36 years. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in politics, you would have retired by now. Yeah, I've kind of retired on and off a couple of times due to um, sickness, but, you know, back strong as ever. Because we are all about lifestyle choices here on Planet Maynard and lifestyle advice. When you're ill, to get yourself out of there and get yourself better, what's been your motivating factor? Well, it's all about being positive. That's it. 
and music's always kept me working. So there's always something tomorrow that can be new that you can do and be creative. You're a lot more positive than I am about life. <laughs> oh, no, you're pretty positive. <laughs> Adam Moffat said, ask Marky about Club 45. You have mentioned that. Is there a little story about Club 45 in Oxford Street with a year you could attach to it? Well, there's a couple of stories. There's the ghost story that I experienced there. For- that was just some guy in a sheet. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. But I think the one Adam's wanting to talk about was the cops would turn up downstairs. They'd be called. They'd turn up at five in the morning and the boss would run up the stairs because it was an upstairs club. And he would look at me and move his hand from above to down below, meaning turn the music down. So I'd turn the music down and he would get all the punters on the dance floor and push them to the side. And the cops would be downstairs with their hands over the glass, looking up the stairs to see what they could see and what they could hear. So we had the music really softly and people were still dancing, but very quietly. Everyone was in on it that was in the club. Yeah, this is just something we did. Now, now, is this because they had a licence for a restaurant only? Was there a reason for it? It could possibly be. And this was the days that it was rumoured that a lot of the clubs paid off the cop. So they would turn up. We would get all the punters away from the door. We'd turn the music down and then the boss would check. And as soon as the cops went, all the punters went and danced in front of the door again and up went the music. And this is something that happened week after week. And it was like playing cat and mouse with the cops. Would this have been possibly a mid-80s thing? 84, 85, 86 and yep. even 87. I worked at Club 45 on a Friday night, as I mentioned, and then pretty soon I was doing the club Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. And I worked a couple of years there and then went to do the midnight shift as well. So, yes, that's exactly the right time. I think they were 10 o'clock till four or five in the morning. And back then we were at 138 beats per minute. Gone back to about 115 in some zones, hasn't it? Yeah, I sit at around 123. Why 123? It just seems to be a nice cruisy level and it's fast enough and energetic enough in some of the music that you can dance to it. And if you don't want to dance, it's groovy. been the best flash in the pan style of music that you've come across i always thought speed garage was kind of funny the whole dubstep thing i thought was kind of uh, amusing for a while there too is there one that came and went that you went what was that all about yeah michael flatley's river dance (laughs) everyone's so hung up on styles and giving things names and i remember listening to a track a couple of years ago thinking wow this is really this is a sound i've not heard anyway that became tropical house tropical yeah. house I just play what I play and then it's other people that give it names. There's so many new terms that come out for about two minutes. My favourite and still is and always was is Handbag House. (laughs) 
That is my favourite style of music. Is there still any handbag house made or has that just been moulded into the general game? No, they've overhoused it now. <laughs> so where Katy Perry and Madonna would be a little bit more handbag and Kylie, what happens is the big remixes get hold of it and then they make it more serious. Oh, so, that's no fun. So by making the track more serious with bigger bass lines, you're taking out that handbag factor. Oh, I know. Oh, well. Yeah, well. Do you ever get so annoyed with a track that you've just had to remix it and thought, I've got to fix this up? Nearly every day here in my studio, you know, I listen to a track and if its structure is okay, then I'll just change little bits of it. But if the structure is crap, that's when I get about and start pulling verses and choruses and putting them first and and reworking them. But I've never been that angry with a track. If that happens, I won't play it. Got another great question here from another legendary, Steve Gordon. Yes, Steve used to do the lighting at Bacchanalia parties, late 80s. Would it be like $3 million to hire a really busy laser for one night? Oh, yeah, those lasers, they were expensive back then. Oh, featuring five watt lasers or something now that everyone's got in their lamp at home. Yeah, and you could possibly have a picture of a dog running if you were lucky. (laughs) But the dog wouldn't be running very fast. Well, yeah. But they used to make nice laser tunnels, but I always thought that was good. They'd fire it off into the smoke. You stick your hand in and out like a Frankie goes to Hollywood clip. And, of course, we had the tunnel in King's Cross that was a uh, salubrious venue for a while. Yeah, I did. Did a couple of nights there near the close of it. I know Two Unlimited did their album launch there. Oh, Two Unlimited. <laughs> oh. There's no limit. There's no, no, no limit. No, no. Where would cheerleaders be without that track now? Where would they be? Yeah, so Steve Gordon asked ask him about the parties at Dank Street, Waterloo, some very momentous times there, both as DJs and attendees. They were... A- Didn't they turn the showers into a dark space or something for a couple of them? I know that you have mentioned that you were in those showers a couple of times. Oh, but I, was, I was the nozzle. Hot or cold. <laughs> I didn't know about that. That was the basketball stadium at mm. uh, Waterloo, Alexandria. They were fun times. They were on more so on the end of the Horden period. Those parties cropped up and they were fantastic. They went till early hours of the morning, did uh, quite a few there. Then you would stumble out on the street early hours of the morning into the church procession that was across the road. I think Carl Smith attended a few of them because Carl Smith just wrote paradise parties. And Carl Smith also mentioned this, which you've got downstairs on your wall, the carnival of lost soul remixes of Without You. Mark also did the remixes for the Funky Lunch CD. Tell us about that. I was working at Disco City at the time and doing an audio engineering course and they had a track out called Without You. They filmed a film clip, which I'm part of, being in a bed with another man and a girl smearing ourselves with ice cream. I always knew he was bisexual, everyone said. Um, No, no one said that really, (laughs) just too gay, really. I did the 12-inch, but I did a dance remix on it. Mind you, I passed that course with a distinction, hurrah, and got a 12-inch out of it. And then Ian and myself sat in the back of Crown Street when Disco City moved to Crown Street near William Street. And I would go in every day with a bag full of samples and it would be stuff like Too Unlimited and a lot of the almighty stuff that was getting released around then. I was at 
DJ Sveder and myself argued about this on our breakfast show on 2SER all the time on a Friday morning. I was a huge fan of the Almighty label. Sveder, not so much because they were so cheesy, but I love the Almighty label because it did what it said on the box. It did indeed. They even did ABBA covers. It was a definite sound back then that they had. The and one that got me was when they did Wonderwall, the Oasis cover, simultaneously hilarious and you could dance to it. A lot of people liked that yeah. kind of style, especially mm. back then. So are there many of those funky lunch CDs around or they still go for a bit on the open market, do they? Now and again I get someone popping up on my website asking about it. So generally, I'll copy my copy and send it to them. Have you heard this phrase? I had your CD in my collection, but I lost it in the divorce. What I've had are people putting them in iTunes and throwing the CD away. And to me, that CD is a part of gay history. You don't throw that in the bin. And I bet you they didn't rip it as a web file. No, MP3, of course. A lot of people seem to have have lost sight of what is sound quality. Clarity. I'm all about clarity. I've just pulled out a drawer. It's a filing cabinet here. It's just full of CDs of you that have done remixes and everything like that. They're all the remixes that I've done around the world, and these are my podcasts in here. And how often do you put a podcast out these days? At the moment, I'm too busy reworking all my music to sit at home and do a podcast. It's getting into late afternoon here in the secure location of which uh, <laughs> DJ Mark Allsop is. I'm just going to briefly look around the room here that we've got. And as a huge Mark Armand fan that he is, I look around and what's this? Keychains and Snowstorms, the soft cell story. That's a collection of 40 years of recording music. That one's an eight CD box set. I can tell it's one of your prized possessions. When you go out to a concert that's even vaguely groovy, You'll see Mark there somewhere because I've bumped into you at Human League, Pet Shop Boys rather famously, and if you'll see back on the Planet Maynard RSS feed, you'll see Pet Shop Boys, and it's mainly me talking to Mark Allsop in front of the main speaker, i got to say, while we're enjoying the show. Is that probably the best you've seen the Pet Shop Boys when they came out for Vivid? That was the best Ever. The sound system was sensational at the Vivid event. The venue was smaller, more compact, and the stage production was fantastic. And being taped to the wall, I still laugh about that. (laughs) That Absolutely brilliant. Did you manage to meet them over the years, did you? I did, actually. They wrote a book called It Couldn't Happen Here, I think, and uh, Neil and Chris signed it for me. We were in London at the time. With the book signing, yeah, I was much younger and they were too busy perving at me. You could have put your shirt on for a book signing. Well, why Why start now? But I remember that Neil signed the book and then um, elbowed Chris and Chris looked up at me and they both looked rather gargard at me and that's how I got my book signed. That was rather nice. Before we go, we've got lifestyle tips. And for those out there thinking of being a DJ, what's the one thing you should take into it? Should you really check your ego at the door or is that part of being a DJ? Oh, God, no, you're absolutely right. One, check your ego at the door. Two, don't expect to get paid well. It's been about 11, 12 years without a pay rise. Well, no matter how much I think that the wage that we get here in Sydney or Australia is not very good, I'm reminded that the San Francisco wage 
is a lot worse. Right. So I, ha I have found out how much they're getting paid there and it's atrocious. You should choose a track for us to finish on. We've looked over your entire 36-year history here. And by the way, there's a beautiful Pride poster from New Year's Eve 2000-2001 overlooking us. You've got the photo of yourself leaning forward there so we can see all the pecs nicely as you're DJing. I didn't pose for it. These were taken by photographers. So oh, of course, yes. I, I know it looks like supermodel material, but yeah. I was just working. What song am I playing next? I don't know. People ask me all the time, what are you playing for us tonight? And I say, well, I'll make it up as I go. And they look at you like you're mad. And I say, <laughs> well, I don't plan my set before. I come out. What is your standard reply to someone who asks you for a request, even if it was something you were going to play anyway? Have you got a standard reply? After 36 years, you must have some snappy ones. GFY, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm actually okay with people. I just mm -hmm. say, if I've got it here, I will play it, but I don't bring everything with me. And that's when they slam you with a cold chisel request. Right. And I just say, I'm, I'm afraid you're in the wrong club. Like we said at the beginning, you're going to play it anyway. Well, there's no fucking way you're going to play that song. You never do. Or I've already played it. And then often they want to say, well, I didn't hear it, so play it again. Gayest song ever. Man, that is just the gayest song I've ever known or played. Apart from Pet Shop Boys with Go West, completely camping that song up. It is uplifting. It is. What shall we finish with? You've got 36 years of DJing to draw from here, which means you're going to piss some people off no matter what you pick, so you might as well pick whatever you like. I have no idea. It can be something new that you've discovered. It can be something from that drawer over there, and no one is going to say it's your favourite. It's just going to be something to go out on. Haven't even talked about the ghost of 45. Oh, no, that would take a while. Whenever you bump into Mark, go, what was that bloody ghost thing you're going on a main art about? And then there's a possibility that you will be haunted by them. I'm haunted by enough ghosts already, real and imagined. Tell me, what would you like us to play? I would have to go with the new Soft Cell remixes. Ooh. Mark, also, it's been great talking to you. And tell us your website and what page they should have a bit of a look at there because you're always putting new stuff up there all the time. I put a chart up there every two weeks. You're making your own countdown chart. I love that. And it also shows you on there what are the mixes that I've worked on. MarkAllsop.com. Oh, let's have some of this soft cell. And thanks for talking to us here on Planet Maynard today. I've had a lot of fun. Hey. Your dog's been very patient. We're going to take some fabulous photos around the place now. Been meaning to talk to you for so long, and we will talk again. Look forward to it. Sunday morning, going slow. I'm talking to the radio. Clothes and records on the floor. The memories of the night before. Out in Clubland, having fun. And
We'll just look this one up, people. No, we won't. No, no we won't. <laughs> <laughs> On maynard.com.au. AU. Bryson and Hume. Everything digital.